at the building of the temple. This is the first of the temples. We'll have a temple that Ezra will build. Once this one was destroyed, Ezra will come back in. He will rebuild another one. Very plain compared to this one. Uh, Herod will come and elaborate on Ezra's temple and make it even bigger and more magnificent. And of course, that one will go away and then we will have a third temple that is yet to be built. But this is the first of them. First Kings chapter 5, verse 1. Now Hiram, king of Tyre, sent his servants to Solomon because he heard that they had anointed him king in place of his father, for Hiram had always loved David. Now the word there, always loved David, could also be translated as an ally of David. It can go either way. So you can, however you want to hear that, whatever you want to do. The, the idea, though, is that uh, Hiram and David were in alliance continually. They did get along. Uh, people of Tyre are known as the Phoenicians. And Israel was always at peace with the Phoenicians. Not so with the Canaanites. They were always at war with the Canaanites, but they were always at peace with the Phoenicians. Never had any trouble there. They were a big uh, seafaring people. Of course, we know the city of Tyre and some things there, but um, these folks at least got along. First Kings 5, verse 2, Then Solomon sent to Hiram, saying, You know how my father David could not build a house for the name of the Lord his God because of the wars which were fought against him on every side until the Lord put his foes under the soles of his feet. But now the Lord my God has given me rest on every side. There is neither adversary nor evil occurrence. So he has rest from wars. According to this, we said this was a type of... Uh, David was a type of the church. Solomon would be a type of the millennial reign. There are a lot of uh, things that didn't quite hold true. Solomon was supposed to worship God all his days, which he didn't do. The millennial reign will not have any idolatrous worship in it. Solomon's kingdom does. And uh, a number of other things that are not quite there. But uh, pretty much the basic part of the type has been preserved. And behold, I purposed to build a house for the name of the Lord my God. As the Lord spoke to my father David, saying, Your son, whom I will set on your throne in your place, he shall build the house for my name. So Solomon purposed to build a house unto the name of the Lord my God. That's who he's building it for. He's building a house unto the name of the Lord my God. He is not, his purpose here, he doesn't state to build a place where the sacrifices will be or a place where the worship will be. That is all those things are going to happen. But he said the purpose that he has done this is to build a house unto the name of the Lord my God. That will tell you a lot of the reasons why the temple is built the way that it is instead of the way that it probably should have been. We've mentioned it before. When God says he's going to rebuild a place of worship, he patterns it after David's tabernacle, not Solomon's temple. Because Solomon's temple has a lot of flaws. It's not as magnificent as uh, we might, be, might have thought, just thinking about all the references and all the things to the temple itself. Uh, verse 6, Now therefore command that they cut down cedars for me from Lebanon. My servants will be with your servants, and I will pay you wages for your servants according to whatever you say. For you know there is none among us who has skill to cut timber like the Sidonians. So it was when Hiram heard that the words of Solomon that he rejoiced greatly and said, Blessed be the Lord this day, for he has given David a wise son over this great people. Now, he might be saying that uh, Solomon was wise because you're willing to hire me and give me money. That, that might be part of it. But it also could just be that Solomon realizes that if you know people that are really good at something, 
Go ahead and let them do it. It, it could, uh, there is a lot of wisdom in that. There are times that, you know, you may want to do some plumbing around your house yourself, but there are times when you just need to call somebody in who, who does it, even though they charge a good bit of money. Sometimes you just need that expertise to come on in and to, and to do some of those things. Then Hiram sent to Solomon, saying, I have considered the message which you sent me, and I will do all you desire concerning the cedar and the cypress logs. My servants shall bring them down from Lebanon to the sea. I will float them in rafts by sea to the place you indicate to me, and will have them broken apart there. Then you can take them away. And you shall fulfill my desire by giving food for my household. He's got a big household, just like Solomon did. Then Hiram gave Solomon cedar and cypress logs according to all his desire, and Solomon gave Hiram 20,000 cores of wheat as food for his household, and 20 cores of pressed oil. Thus Solomon gave to Hiram year by year. So they come into an agreement to supply the cedars and such that Hiram has over in his place. Solomon doesn't have as good ones or as many of them as what he needs. And uh, they, they bring those in. They come to an agreement. This is what we're going to pay you. But this payment goes on for about 20 years. This is a, that, that He gets the cypress logs and the, and the um, cedars, not just for the house of God. He also gets it for his house. Now, David built a magnificent palace, but Solomon's going to build a better one. This one's going to be Solomon's house. So he's got to upgrade everything. And so he's going to do this. But he, he builds the house of God first, and then he's going to go on and build his house. But it does take about 20 years. Now, if you look this up in Dakes, Jake's has this at, uh, when you count up the wheat and the oil, at just under $26 million for the 20 years for wood. <laughs> now, adjust that to today. Dakes was written, what, 50, 60 years ago? So $26 million 50, 60 years ago is worth how much now? A whole lot more, isn't it? So you have to adjust that. I don't have anything else that was adjusting that, but it gives, at least gives you an idea. You're looking at a whole lot of money that was just done. Now, the, the Hebrews are not known to be builders. They don't have, a whole, they don't have that reputation. They, at this point, they had good warriors. There, were, there was um, certain ones, Benjamins, were known to be great folks with the sling, and they had some uh, warrior-type talent. They had some uh, other talents that were there, but architecture... And building was not one of them. David, when he built his palace, employed other people for the architecture and the design. And these particular people are the same ones that Solomon hires, which is the Phoenicians. They bring them in to design uh, all this and to be the architects and to, 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 to basically tell them how to do all this stuff, how to cut the stones, how to do all that. When Israel was in Egypt, they were slaves they had to haul the, the stones. I don't know how much of the cutting they did, but they did none of the design. The Egyptians did all that. So they weren't brought into all those things. Then they had all those years they were wandering in the desert. They didn't do any designs. And that whole generation died off. And then they came on in and they took over cities that were already built. So they didn't do any of those designs. So they haven't had any need to do this. Then, of course, they had all the time with the judges and all the things, and nothing great came out of any of those years. It was a pretty dark time for, for Israel. So we had a lot of years, and they're not really being um, developed in this. So when you bring in the Phoenicians in the building of the palace for David and the building of the uh, temple and then eventually into to Solomon's place, 
what you're having is the, the design of the temple is not done by God. Now, you remember the tabernacle was, you remember the ark was, remember all the instructions he gave to Moses about how he was to lay out things and what they're supposed to do and so forth. And there was a basic structure to the house of the temple that would be done. It did follow some of the other patterns that he gave as far as the, uh, the inner chamber, the uh, holy of holies and, and things like this. But the rest of the design was up to, uh, up to them because they never did seek after God. If God had plans for how the temple should look. And I suspect that God had plans on how the temple should look. What they got instead was a temple that looked very similar to a temple that the Phoenicians built in the city of Tyre. Now, I tried to get some pictures of this. I saw some of the ruins. I was trying to get a side-by-side picture so you could, you could see this, but um, I didn't, uh, didn't get to find a good enough picture for all that. But I put it in your outline there that the uh, temple of God looks very similar to Malkart's temple in Tyre. So if you are God, would you want your temple to look like the temple that idolaters built to a false god? However similar. I mean, when it's not exact, it's not an exact replica. There's just similarities there to it. I think God had a different design. And even though the Hebrews didn't have the way to do that, Maybe they didn't have the people to, to uh, bring all that about. God could certainly have done so. He gave Noah designs for a, a boat when no one had designed boats like what he needed. But he needed a good-sized boat to carry animals and, and such. No one had designed a boat like that, but God had a design. He said, you build it this way, you do this, you do this, you do this, and you do this, and it'll work. And he did all that, and it worked. I think God would have had a design for the temple. I think it would have looked a lot different than what they got. That's just an opinion I have. Probably some others have it as well. But God is now going to come about and inhabit a building down the road here, and it's not going to do it just yet, that may not be exactly the way he would have liked. But anyway, this price was paid over a time of 20 years. I think I already told you that one. There was peace between Israel and the Phoenicians all that time. In verse 12, So the Lord gave Solomon wisdom, and he had as he had promised him, and there was peace between Hiram and Solomon, and the two of them made a treaty together. Now, there is a treaty that they do make, and Hiram honors us all his days, as far as we know. But somewhere along the line of Israel's history, this treaty will be broken, and it will be broken by Tyre. If you go over to Amos chapter 1 and verse 9, thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Tyre and for four, I will not turn away its punishment, because they delivered up the whole captivity to Edom, and did not remember the covenant of brotherhood. They broke their covenant. They broke their treaty with Israel. And God was going to hold them accountable for it. So apparently Israel didn't, wasn't the one who broke that. But they were. Verse 13. Then King Solomon raised up a labor force out of all Israel. And the labor force was 30,000 men. Now this is one of the things that Solomon told them. This is going to happen to you. If you have a king... He's going to exact labor upon you. He's going to exact taxes on you. You're going to have to do some things that you may not be thrilled about doing. And this is what Solomon did. He raised up a labor force out of all Israel. You know how you do that? <laughs> Pretty much a draft. You just go out there and say, you, 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 and you are coming with me. 30,000 out, out of Israel are going to go along. And he's, uh, he's put them into labor. And he sent them to Lebanon. So they're going out of state out of the country. They're going up to Tyre. 
to the kingdom up there into the uh, area of Lebanon where all the cedars are. 10,000 a month in ships. They were one month in Lebanon and two months at home. And it says that Adoniram was in charge of the labor force. So this is what you got. If you were one of the ones who was picked, then one month you no longer worked your job. If you were a blacksmith, you were no longer a blacksmith for an entire month. If you were a carpenter, you were no longer a carpenter for an entire month. If you watched over your herds and flocks for, for a living, you no longer did that for that month. For that month, you made no money because the king did not pay you. It was forced labor. And you were sent up to go and to do very hard work. This is not easy work. This is hard work. And I, I don't know about how it was then, but you have, how safe is timbering today? <laughs> People die cutting down trees. I, I would expect that People could have died cutting down trees in here. So you probably lost some. And if you lost some, well, let's go find somebody else. <laughs> take, their, take their spot. It was hard work, and for one month, you didn't go away on vacation. You worked hard. Six, maybe even seven days a week. Just working this thing, doing this thing, cutting down trees, because the king wants to build a temple, and then the king wants to build a new house. Now, maybe if you were on board with the temple, that would be one thing, but the king's already got a house. How many people can think, king's already got a house. Why we got to cut down all this stuff for another house? My family's barely making it. Now I'm not there to take care of uh, uh, wages, bring home some money for that month. Just, just think about this. If you took off four months out of the year and didn't get paid, would that affect your finances? Can you see why the people were upset with Solomon when they came to Rehoboam? And they said, your father's hand was very hard. This is 30,000 people he, he put this burden on. 10,000 a month were sent on up there. Now we got more on, on that. Well, put this in your outline. Not just tax revenue, but labor as well. So they talked about the taxes, but there was also a labor quota that had to be met. And this isn't all the laborers. This is just the ones they send up to Lebanon. 30,000. There's, there's more laborers beside this, but 30,000 were sent up there. Now think about this. The city of Tyre is an idolatrous country. Friends of David's. They were friends, but they did not worship God. If you're going to take 10,000 of your men each month and send them up there, you're going to send them up into a land who worship idols. You're going to send them among women who worship idols. What do you think they come back with? Some of them may have married some of the Phoenician women and brought them back with them. Some of them may have gotten involved in the worship of the Phoenician gods and brought them back with them. And so for the quest of building a temple for God, look what Solomon does to his people. Now, if he wanted the wood and if he needed the wood, why not just let them do all the work up there? Why do you have to send your own people up there? And Hiram, it actually sounded like he was, he's saying, hey, we'll do all the work. We'll cut it all up. We'll put them in the rafts. We'll float them down. And we'll even send the people down there to break them up. And, uh, and then you can just supply the people to carry them on, on up. But Solomon sent his guys up into the land of Phoenicia for 20 years. They were going up there. 
I don't know that they rotated that 30,000 off. It sounded like they just took the same 30,000 and you were employed in that. Maybe I would, I would expect somewhere along the line some of that to, be, have, to have been rotated off, but we don't know that they were, they were done that way. Now, put in your outline, what percentage of men of Israel might this have been? 30,000, what's the percentage that it might have been? Well, the last number that I could find in the, in the Bible was in 2 Samuel 24 and verse 9. Then Joab gave the sum of the number of the people to the king. This is when the king asked for a census to be taken. And there were in Israel 800,000 valiant men who drew the sword, and the men of Judah were 500,000. That's 1,300,000. Take 30,000 out of that. It is a smaller percentage, so it's not all of them that were called into that. But do you imagine if you were one of the ones picked? Hmm. So we go on from this, and in verse 15, Solomon had 70,000 who carried burdens and 80,000 who quarried stones in the mountains, besides 3,300 from chiefs of Solomon's deputies who supervised the people who labored in the, in the work. And the king commanded them to quarry large stones costly stones and hewn stones to lay the foundation of the temple. So Solomon's builders, Hiram's builders, and Gabalites quarried them, and they prepared timber and stones to build the temple. So we got 70,000 that were there to bear burdens. We don't, nothing says that they were on and off. It seems that they were on. 80,000 were hewers in the mountains. They cut the stones. They may not have all been Israelites. Some of them may have been the slaves, the aliens in the land. Some of the aliens that were in the land, do you remember when Joshua came upon the city that uh, made the treaty? And they said, uh, after they discovered that they had made, they were in the land and they made the treaty. And they said, all right, well, you're going to be carriers of water and hewers of stones and all sorts of other things that they, they were. And they said, okay, we agree, <laughs> at least for our life. And so this may be some of the labor force that they, they had done. It seems like that when it's the children of Israel, they were on and off. But these group, it didn't seem like they were off. So it may be that these were some of the slaves that they had in Israel because they had slaves. Some of the aliens in the land and so forth, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, all these folks were put into forced labor. I saw a note that the largest of the stones hewn out of the mountains that they have discovered so far was 38 feet long, 9 inches. 38 feet long, 9 inches. That's a stone. <laughs> uh, weighed uh, 100 tons. That is something else right there. 38 feet long, 9 inches, weighing 100 tons. What kind of force do you need to carry that from the mountains down to the temple site. That's, a, that's some work. Now the Gebalites, they were from a town of Gable. It was about 40 miles north of Sidon. That's, they just had a special talent, and that's what they were brought in for to, to do. Verse 1 of chapter 6, And it came to pass in the 480th year that the children of Israel had come out of the land of Egypt, in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel, in the month of Ziv, which is the second month, that he began to build the house of the Lord. Now, there's a problem here with this number. Uh, 400 years after, the years from the time they left Egypt 
until this time is better estimated to be 645. But it says 480. There's a lot of things that are based off, that base this off of the 480, which is a wrong total. It may be that they didn't count all of the years in which they were not feeling safe as far as their borders. And if you trim off them, you'll get a whole lot closer to the 480 years. Some of the times when they were under servanthood in the book of Judges, some of the times they were wandering in the uh, wilderness, some of the times when uh, uh, other, other things had come up and they just didn't feel as, as secure. That may be it. Uh, I have no other explanation for it. Uh, but it's not 400 years, 480 years from when they left until the temple was built. It was more like 645. So somehow they're not counting some of the years for whatever reason that they didn't want to count them. Now, the house, which is not unusual, they've done, there have been many times when they haven't counted certain years before. Now, the house which King Solomon built for the Lord, is its length was 60 cubits, its width was 20, and its height 30 cubits. The vestibule in front of the sanctuary of the house was 20 cubits long across the width of the house, and the width of the vestibule extended 10 cubits from the front of the house. And he made for the house windows with beveled frames against the wall of the temple. He built chambers all around against the walls of the temple, all around the sanctuary and the inner sanctuary. Then he made side chambers all around it. The lowest chamber was five cubits wide. The middle was six cubits wide and the third was seven cubits wide. And he made narrow ledges around the outside of the temple so that the support beams would not be fastened into the walls of the temple. Remember, we don't want any banging, chiseling and so forth there at the temple site. And the temple, when it was being built, was built with stone finished at the quarry so that no hammer or chisel or any iron tool was heard in the temple while it was being built. Why is that important? I have no idea. No idea. We don't know that God is uh, afraid of, of noises like that at all. <laughs> but apparently, this is what Solomon wanted to do. Now, again, God has not been brought in on the design of the temple outside of the basic structure. And God wasn't brought in on this. So don't think that, you know, by having chisels and such things, it, it, it angers God. Nothing like that is being said. This is uh, Solomon's house that he's building for God. He's building it for the name of God. The doorway for the middle story was on the right side of the temple. They went up by stairs to the middle story and from the middle to the third. So he built the temple and finished it. And he paneled the temple with beams and boards of cedar. And he built side chambers against the entire temple each five cubits high that were attached to the temple with cedar beams. Then the word of the Lord came to Solomon, saying, Concerning this temple which you are building, if you walk in my statutes, execute my judgments, keep all my commandments, and walk in them, then I will perform my word with you, which I spoke to your father David. And I will dwell among the, people, the children of Israel and will not forsake my people Israel. Now that's a conditional promise. As long as you do what you're supposed to do, I'll do this. So often people want to go, you know, well, God is in control. Is God in control of this? God is not in control of this, is it? Who's in control of this? The people of Israel, what they're going to do. You know, if Solomon and the people of Israel follow after God, God says, this is what I'm going to do. But if you don't, guess what God's going to do? Not as much as in the hands of God as Christians and people like to say. Depends on us. So Solomon built the temple and finished it. So he started it and finished it. It took a long time. 
So it wasn't 20 years to do that, but it was a number of years that it took to, to finish this and to build this. But this word came to, to Solomon. Even I think it's, a, it's, it's something, even though God was not involved in the design, even though idolaters were involved in the design and involved in a lot of the uh, bringing in of the supplies, even though slave labor was probably used in the cutting of the stones and all this sort of stuff, God still blessed it. And God still inhabited it. I made this note, didn't quite make your outline, but only persons can be spiritual, not buildings. As magnificent as this building is, it's the people that inhabit it. That's why God came into the building. That's why God was in the Holy of Holies. That's why the presence of God was there. Because of the people, not because of the building. And put this note in your outline. Are we building a house that God wants or a house that the world marvels at? Are we building a house that God wants or a house that the world marvels at? Solomon wanted to build a house to the name of the Lord his God, which meant the building had to be spectacular. People had to come in and look at that building and say, wow, because he was building it to the name of his God. And he wanted people to have that wow when they thought of God. That's his desire for it. That's why he he wanted to do it. It's not necessarily a house that God wanted and God asked for but he was building it to the name of the Lord his God. If he was building it for the symbolism, if he was building it for the worship, it would have been a different purpose. It would have been a, something different to come uh, He would have come along to find the pattern somewhere else beside the Phoenicians. But are we building a house that God wants? Or are we building a house that the world marvels at? Sometimes we think with all the stuff that we can get with faith or just because we have these things going on in our life because of our faith that the world will marvel at the building. Let's build a house that God wants. Let's build a house where we are functioning and doing the things that God wants us to do and not one that looks spectacular. The world respects spectacular. They like spectacular. This temple was called one of the, the, I don't know if it's one of the seven wonders of the world, but it certainly is one of the, the great wonders of the world. It was, it, no one really knew exactly what it looked like, but it was supposed to be pretty, pretty spectacular just from the notes we have in history about this particular temple. So the world marveled at it, but was it a house that God wanted? When we think of the temple, we just think that, well, how it was was the way God wanted it, but I don't know that we can really say that for sure. It's the way Solomon wanted it but not, maybe not necessarily the way that God wanted it. David put a whole lot of things away for the house, but he didn't write up any plans for how to build it. And God hadn't given any, and we don't know that any prophet was ever consulted as far as what we should do. There was a pattern from the tabernacle that was used as far as the outer court, the inner court, and the Holy of Holies. But you see that Solomon tacked on a whole lot of other rooms. There were rooms here. There were spiral staircases that went from the bottom rooms to the top rooms. None of that was in the plan that God gave for what the children of Israel had used before. But he put it into this one. God never complained. God never said, I don't like that house. God still used it. Even though we don't build something quite up to God's specs, 
We dedicate it to his purpose. He will inhabit it and he will use it. And they need something. Well, Father, we thank you that you can use just about anything. Father, you can certainly use us. We thank you, Father, for the use that you have found for us, even though we are imperfect, even though we have our flaws, even though sometimes we represent the world more than we represent you, you still find a way to use us. I thank you that you do. I thank you that you continue to do. Father, we want to pattern ourselves to be a house that you want, not just something that the world marvels at. Thank you for your help in this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.